Today, we talk about the home team. The home team is a team made up of the people that live in your life. They're the up-close folks. They're your home team. It's amazing how easy it is for you to get lost sometimes and, and somehow assume that your life is all about being, um, can I say it, a world reacher. It's all about going out and reaching the world. And that's your focus. Problem is, if your home is messed up, who cares about the world? Who cares about um, Ricky Temple being known all over the world if my kids don't like me? I cannot spend my life. It's not God's will for me to have a healthy community outreach and not have a healthy church. I must learn how to help the home team. Come on, say helping. helping. Come on, the home team. Come on, say it again. Say helping, helping. The, home the home team. There are three things I said you have to do to help the home team. The first one is you have to know your job description. In this series, I said if you get confused and you start doing stuff you're not supposed to do, Deuteronomy 6 and 7 says what you're supposed to be doing is teaching your children as they walk through the way, as you go through the neighborhood. Deuteronomy 6 and 7 challenges me to be clear about my job description. The second thing the Bible teaches us, as we said it last week, is that we have to learn how to make sure we're not divided. If the home team is divided, we're in trouble. You cannot spend your life and expect to be successful if the home team is divided. If you're always struggling, if you're always at odds, if you're always having difficulty, getting along. Here's what Jesus said. This is, this is amazingly horrible. It is. Matthew 12, 25. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's a prophecy. It's not going to work. May not be today. May not be next week. But eventually, it all crumbles. You're watching it. Separate rooms. Separate conversations. No one wants to eat dinner anymore. Separate money. Looking all around for somebody else to find joy with. A house divided. A church divided. A nation divided. This is a side note. You know one of the good things, though, about division? Here's a good thing to it. It teaches you about you. This nation right now, what it's going through, Wherever you stand politically, here's, here's the benefit of this, all of this. You know what people think. It's hard to be united when you're not clear. At least when I know how you think, we can work on that. It's when I don't know. There's something powerful about understanding the truth. But here is the truth. At the, at the, at the end of the day, a house divided can't stand. So you need to know your job description. You need to 
make sure you're not divided, and you need to thirdly today in our study not carry unforgiveness. Out of all the things that can haunt you and can wreck your life, it's carrying that thing in your heart. In your mind and in your heart, what is that thing? Is it your dad wasn't there? Is it that he offended you? Is it your mom? Is it a friend, employer, employee? What offends you? And I want to say this to you. All of us understand it. All of us have been offended. But here's what's interesting. All of us have had to say these words, I am sorry. If you don't believe me, watch this. Before the living God, because you're an honest and truthful person who will not lie in church, right? How many of you would say, I've had to say, I'm sorry? Raise your hand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't do that right. I didn't say that right. I didn't get that right. There are just times when you're just wrong. And you're confused. You're not always clear. Because some things pull you into things. Some, some of the things that come up in life surprise you. I remember one time, I, I've told this so many times, but it's so true. I was a loving God person, but I was in my early 20s pastoring in my early 20s, and I didn't fully understand a lot of things about money. I didn't understand uh, terms like um, what's your net worth. I didn't fully comprehend that to a degree, but not like I do now, of course. And I, I never owned a home, never bought property. So I went to buy a home, and I went to this lady, and I've told this too many times, but I went in there, and that lady asked me a question. She says, how much cash do you have? trying to fill out the application for the house. And I thought, you don't ask anybody that on the 20th of the month. <laughs> you don't ask anybody that on, except on the 15th and the 30th. That's when you ask somebody how much cash. And she asked me this question. She said, she, and I lied. She said, she says, so uh, can you guess? I said, no, I can't guess. No. In my head, between 5 and $6, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere between those two numbers. I, I, didn't have many, I didn't have much money. I was just coming to ask. But in that moment, in that moment, it was, it was amazing how um, I got pulled into it. I got pulled into an awkward place, and I didn't know how to respond. Simple question. Sometimes you offend people. Sometimes you, 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 get, you get an attitude because you're confused. No one's ever asked you that. No one's ever checked you on that. No one's ever, and that's what marriage does. That's why marriage is so hard for people. A lot of unforgiveness rises in marriage like weeds because for the first time, someone sees you for real. When you're single, you can lie a whole lot and hide stuff. When you get married, they see everything eventually. They know you're really broke for real. They know <laughs> close. You don't, you don't really have any money. You're not good with money. They know you're, not, you're kind of sloppy. You look neat in the street, but at home, everything's everywhere. They know you, and it, it offends you to know that someone knows all of that about you. It offends you to know that they know the intimate sides of your life. It offends you to be that transparent, to be that open. It's hard. It's really, it's really hard. But I think in the midst of all of that, events come up and strife develops. In the midst of all of that growing and exposure, 
things happen that leave you stunned. And sometimes you don't know how to interpret an event. You don't know how to interpret a moment. And you don't have the pieces to put in the right places in those moments. I always say success comes in pieces. And what I've learned in my life is the reason I couldn't have certain levels of success or income is because I did not have the pieces I needed. I didn't didn't know how to put that together. School, this is true. The big challenge with school is not just being smart. It's, it's having the academic pieces, the foundational pieces that help you. It's kind of like if your car broke and you call me, your car is going to stay broke <laughs> because I don't have the mechanic pieces. And if I work on your car, it's going to be broker. <laughs> Excuse my grammar, but it is. It's just, it's just hopeless. If, if you fell down sick in here and you call me to help you, you don't want me to come over. You want that guy over there, Dr. Reddick, to come over here and beat on your chest. Because if I do, you may not live. And there's some other people in here that would know what to do because they have the medical pieces. Sometimes you, you're, you're in strife be all, only because you don't have the pieces. And nobody gave them to you. Your parents didn't have them. They fought and struggled. That's why some of you don't have money, only because you were, you were around people who didn't have the financial pieces. And they didn't give them to you. How can you expect to be a lion tamer without lion tamer pieces? When I see a lion, my mind says, run. I have no courage. <laughs> None. I'm amazed at people that chase animals around the woods and jump on them and take pictures. Say, look, I'm, I got a snake. I can't see that. I don't have the pieces. <laughs> but there are people who were raised. I'm curious. How many of you are hunters? You hunt. You hunt. You hunt? Really? What do you like to hunt? Deer. Deer. What do you like to hunt? If it walks on four legs, you want to get it. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Okay. I didn't expect that answer. I didn't expect that. He walks on four legs. Okay. Here's the point. I don't have those pieces. And so I naturally can't put that together in my head. I, I just can't. I was talking to a friend the other day. We were at, we were at um, I told this a while ago, we were at dinner. His name is Casey Tree. lives up in Seattle. Uh, Casey has a big church, really great guy. You look him up, he's a great preacher. And Casey was uh, telling me that, uh, yeah, Rick, he said, uh, I, was, I was in Alaska hunting, uh, hunting bear. Okay, so let me understand this, Casey. You and some friends got together and said, we're going to go look for a bear in person, and we're going to shoot him. Really? I never had that dream. But I don't have the pieces that he's been raised with. The, the single reason why some of you can't manage to get over tension and strife is because you don't have the pieces. The reason you feel the way you feel, the reason you hold on to it the way you hold on to it, is because you've never been given the pieces. And if you can, just for a moment, let me give you eight questions that can help pull together some pieces that you can apply to your life that might help your family team get past things. I might can help you 
through this conversation Jesus had with the disciples, show you some principles that might guide you to a place where you can fix those pieces. But look at me at um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. I pose this as questions because it just kind of helps us get through this pretty quickly. The first question is, how do you resolve conflict? How do you resolve those moments when it's just absolutely awful? You are at odds with somebody, they're at odds with you. What do you do? Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Now, I want you to notice how he starts. If somebody's done you wrong, there's no question, they did you wrong. What you should do, he says, is go tell him his fault between you and him where? Alone. I want you to first try to work this out in private. I love the way that he approaches this. This is so Middle Eastern. Safe face, don't embarrass them. Americans are a little bit more direct. We interpret the Bible in a way that, that always go to your face and we tell you what's wrong with you. And that somehow that's the way you resolve issues. And that's not around the world the way people think. Some of us from, come from cultures that are very um, brash and direct. A lot of Western countries, are a lot, but a lot of, some, a lot of countries, they, they, they have a roundabout way, especially in the Orient, a roundabout way in Asia to kind of get to the point, but not that way. You say what you need to say, but you consider the person. And I love Jesus' answers. He said, you know, try it alone first. But if it doesn't work, if it does work, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, look, listen to this, now verse 16, there's always a chance when a person's wronged you, that they will not hear you. You have to be prepared for that. You need a piece to put in there to help you with those moments. Here's what he says. If he will not hear you, take with you one or two more witnesses. That, that, he says, I want you to get some other people involved. Don't try one time and give up. I want you to try a second, try a third. Notice this, this effort to, to work it out. And there's some effort. There's some pain in this. There's some awkwardness in this. And so you go to them and you pull. He said three times. The goal is that you want to have something with witnesses. You want to have a witnessed environment that says, okay, I, I really tried. Then I want you to think about this. What if you cannot resolve it? How do you deal with people, second question, who will not resolve conflict? Now, this, this, this requires a, a big boy, big girl attitude, verse 17. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But look, you're trying again. Take it to the elders. Try, try, take it to your parents, whoever that person is. That, try again. And no, notice the efforts. One, two, three, four. It's not just one time and you're done. And then he says this. If he refuses even to hear the church, you've gone to the highest level you can. And in your house, that may be the elders of your family. It may be grandmom and granddad. I don't know who that is. But in the, in, in the context that he was talking about here, he's talking about take this as high as you can and let him, if he won't listen, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That is tough talk. Here's what I've learned in my life. I can't make everybody see what I see. And I have to learn how to manage this. Jesus basically said one verse. This is one I like. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. It's not in your notes, but Matthew 10, 14. Jesus says, if you try to resolve something, you go to somebody, you shake the dust off your feet. If you can't, you, I cannot allow this to become my life. And, I, I, and my job, I really understand that. I, there, there are people who, for reasons, 
I can't even figure out why they don't like me. I just can't figure that out. It's like, okay, you don't like my preaching style. I teach too much. I don't like the notes. It's the notes. Let the Spirit lead you. So I, I was criticized one, one time. Well, I've been criticized a few times. But one time I was criticized, and I, I thought this was so, this was, whenever people talk about you, at least they wouldn't have said it in a cool way. They said, he has, this is my early 20s. They said, he has knowledge from college and no anointing. I thought, wow, that was good. <laughs> I mean, it was. I thought, yeah, okay, this was funny, okay. And I said, so what's the problem? Well, we want you to loosen up. We want you to just let it go. And I tried that. I, I used to preach, sing, preach, you know, oh, Jesus, oh, Lord, God is good. I learned to preach that way, but I started getting confused. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't remember where I was, you know. I started, you know, you're talking fast, and then turn in the Bible, and turn. And it, just, it just confuses me. And if the preacher's confused, then everybody's confused. And you can tell when they're confused because they say, come on now, work with me. Come on, work with me. Work with me. Come on, focus, focus. I'm saying, you the one up there. You the one up there. Every, you got up on that stage. You're the one. And I learned that I, you know, sometimes you get confused and you're preaching and you say, say amen, say amen. Come on, say. I'm really trying to find myself. Where was I? Where was I? <laughs> sometimes. I mean, it's just hard. So you come do this and you'll see what I mean. It's amazing. So I said, look, let me be myself. Let me be myself. Let me just be who I am. And it works for me. But it didn't work for everybody. And I understand that. And so if you go to a person and you try to write, hey, let's try to work, and you can't, I can't, this is what I can't do. I cannot make you my full-time ministry. I can't make you my full-time job. I can't make this issue that you have my full-time thing. You know what I mean? Something You took grandmama's chair. Okay, I, I was, okay. Okay, you thought it was yours, so, you know, okay, so we're going to spend 20 years on a chair that's not even alive? At some point in our life, at some point in my life, and I love what Jesus says, there are people you try to fix things with and you can't fix it and you have to learn how to respond to that. But what I love is number three in the notes in here with the question is how, how does heaven view this? Heaven really wants you to work it out and heaven gives you the lead way to work things out. Here's a verse. It says, verse 18, Surely I say to you, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And again, I say to you, that if, if two of you can, can agree on, any, on earth concerning anything, say anything, anything, say anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. I, I love that. I am there. This verse has been used, and I understand it's, you know, to, to talk about spiritual warfare and binding and loosing spirits and all that, but that's not really the context. He's really talking about people getting along. And, he, and he, what he's saying is if you can get together, heaven will support your decision. If two of you can get together and agree on something, I'll, I'll say good. Whatever you bind or loose, whatever you say is right or wrong, whatever your agreement is, I, can, I support it. It's really a statement about, first of all, you have the responsibility to get together. You have the responsibility to come to a decision. You want to see this in living color in Acts chapter 15. The early church had a discussion. They had a disagreement. And in this disagreement, it was about whether you should eat things offered to idols and whether or not you should, you know, they had, you know, people were worshiping Zeus, you know, different gods, and they would offer the, the, the animal up to Zeus. But after they offered the animal up, then people would sell the meat. And so Christians were buying the Zeus meat and it would offend people. And they had this big discussion about whether you should, should eat Zeus meat or not. 
People said, well, it's on discount. Why not? You know, people, I mean, there was this struggle. People say, ah, that's 50% off. I might as well get some of that Zeus. There ain't no Zeus. So I'm going to eat some Zeus meat today. I mean, people had, they had their reasons for it. And so you, you had people who had disagreed. And here's what I love in Acts 15. They got together and had a discussion and came to an agreement. And heaven supported it. If you and your family can get together, if you people can get together, just two or three of you, he says, I'll be there right in the middle of your meeting. But that's your job. And whenever you talk about forgiveness, whenever you talk about this, there's always that great question is, are there boundaries? So, Pastor, okay, so you talked about people wronging, being wronged, whatever. Is there like a point where you don't have to forgive people? How often was the question in number four, should you forgive? Jesus gives an answer that's amazing. Here's what he says. Peter said to him, verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's Matthew 18, 21. He said, how about up to seven times? Now, Peter's being a little bit smart because he knew that the rabbi said three times, so he doubles it plus one. Ah, Jesus said this. I, don't, I do not say seven times, but 70 times seven. 490 times. Now, this just sounds wimpish. It sounds like, okay, so you want me to be a doormat. You want people to just use me and abuse me, and then I'm supposed to somehow just spiritually be okay with that. That's not what he's saying. Especially when you swing it around and ask yourself, how many times have you been forgiven for something? 491, 92. How many times have you been wrong? What he's trying to say is there's hope for people we're wrong. But there is a balance. How do you manage forgiving people when it's unsafe and it can harm you? I want you to look at me for a second. It is true that there are times when things are done to you that put you in an unsafe place. And you have to be, listen to the preacher, honest about that. And if you are putting a person in an unsafe place, you have to be honest about what you're doing. For example, if you're hitting your spouse, right, you're fighting, you put that person in an unsafe place. What can they do? Submit to you? To be beaten whenever you feel like it? Slapped whenever you feel like it? Whenever you're upset about whatever? Is that okay? I mean, that's, so what do they do? What's really tragic is I've seen people in those moments kill people in those moments of self-defense because they developed a culture of fighting. It's a habit. When I get upset, I say these words, and before you know it, I'm in your face, and then there you go. I've seen some pretty girls in prison. Pretty girls. You worked in jail for many years, didn't you? Some pretty girls done come down there, and you saw them come through, kill somebody, shot somebody. But they, if you go back, they all had a history of allowing this to go on. What I want to show you is a principle that God modeled for us in Genesis chapter 3 about dealing with unsafe moments and how God had to manage something that's really painful. You can forgive a person and, and really mean they're forgiven, but your response has to be different. Forgiveness does not mean I don't take precautions. But forgiveness doesn't mean that I don't draw lines. There, there are lines you draw. 
And you draw them for, for important reasons. Here's what happened. Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Watch this. 22, rather. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, here's the concern. Least he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And verse 24, here's the painful part. He drove out the man and he placed cherubims at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Here's what that basically means. After, in chapter 3, man rebels against God and makes a unique decision. He says, I no longer will listen to your advice or your counsel. I'm now listening to my own, to my own voices. When the man ate of the tree in Genesis chapter 3, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it was called, that was a statement. I live my way. I, I serve myself. I no longer am going to live by your standards or your rules. Adam was standing with her. The Bible says after he, she ate the fruit, she gave it to him. He was there. He saw the whole thing. Like a lot of men, you watch your family going down and you say nothing. Absolutely nothing. What would have happened if he'd stopped her and said, hey, girl, what are you doing? Sometimes you partner as a family and rebelling against God. And so in that decision, when they made that decision, we know they were forgiven. God made coats for them of, of, of skin, and he, they were obviously forgiven. There's no sign that these people, in chapter 4, they're offering sacrifice to God. These were forgiven people, but they couldn't live in the garden anymore. You can do things that get you put out of your garden of Eden because it's not safe. Here's the concern. They're going to eat of the tree of life and live forever this way. You know, the concern is you're going to beat them forever. The concern is you're going to steal forever. That's why they fired you from the job. You're going to steal forever because, you know, you, you, you just keep doing it. And you, you know, I want you to understand there comes a moment when you have to manage the reality you're, you're dealing with. And, and this is an example of how God did it. They were truly forgiven. But there came a moment when he says, you can't continue here. Now, this is so important because somebody came to me at the last service and they said to me, Pastor, um, is there hope for me after I get put out of my garden? And I looked at her and I said, yeah, there's hope for you. I said, thanks for helping with my sermon. God, God can fix your life. You may not have the Garden of Eden job you have, but God can still provide for you. You may not have the relationship you had. You may not be able to go back to the kids and make all that up. You may not be able to redeem what happened. You may have cheated, but you can't fix that. I've seen people do it. They've cheated, and the, the mate won't take them back, and it's, it's horrible. to feel like I'm the one who did that. I was touched by Ms. Kardashian's um, testimony. It's written. It's a public knowledge. I'm just telling her story. I, thought, I, was, I just read it the other day. I didn't know. She said, I cheated on my husband, Mr. Kardashian. And um, she said, that was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. And that man did not deserve that. I was in my early. I was young, and I thought grass was green on the other side. I, was, I saved the article. I was so moved by it. And she said, 
that was the biggest mistake. The mom of the Kardashians, she said that was the biggest mistake. Her dad, her husband's a lawyer. That was the biggest mistake I ever made. But she buckled up her life and moved forward. There's nothing else you can do. I'm not in my Garden of Eden, but another door opened. She's in a good garden now. <laughs> they got a whole lot of money. <laughs> Lift your hand with me. You say, God can redeem me. He can. He can fix your life. But I want you to notice how God manages it. I want you to see how, how even-handed he is. What makes all this come together, though, when you're trying to work on this forgiveness issue is you have to also remember the times you were just wrong. And in the story of Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, there's a parable that's given that really drives home this final point. Because in this, in this conversation, there is still left this vague place where Peter and the disciples are trying to figure out how unforgiveness and forgiveness works. And so Jesus does something he loved to do. He told a story. And sometimes in stories you can see yourself, and this is what he told them. Therefore, verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him. Who owed him how much? 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, but he was not able to pay, rather his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Have you ever been in this place? Made a little mistake there under number five. I have. Have you, and I forgot the word you, needed to be forgiven because you owed too much. <laughs> you owed too much. This guy is in a mess. He owes so much. And they, they have this way, you know, okay, when you're wrong, they're just going to sell you and your kids. And some of you said, my whole family would be in jail right now. <laughs> there used to be something called debtor's prison years ago. If you had too much debt, they locked you up. But what I, what's interesting is this guy owes 10000 Now, there's something called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. I have a little note at the bottom of your notes. I call it the um, deeper look study um, notes below. Uh, that's at the back of your notes on the bottom. And I, I give you the quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary that explains what this is. 10,000 talents, really, he says, was millions of dollars. This was a debt he couldn't pay. It was millions of dollars. But I want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever been the person who just needed another chance and somebody gave it to you? Have you ever been the person that someone came to you and they gave you a chance. That's number six. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. What did he say to him? One more time. What did he say to him? Have patience. One more time. What did he say to him? Have patience with me. That's a moment when you're wrong. You did the wrong. The first part of the teaching talked about when it was done to you. Now you are the wrong person. You did the wrong. And have you ever been this person, you did the wrong, and you needed somebody to have patience with you, and they did. The guy said, I will, I will pay you all. There's no way you could pay him. There's no way you can go back and fix some of the stuff you did. There's no way you can change what happened with your kids or your last marriage or your last marriages or whatever, your job. You can't go back and change that. You have a record now. You did that, okay? You did that. How? Watch this incredible moment. 
The master of that servant, verse 27, was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now that's a moment. It's over. I don't owe anybody. I'm debt free. I'm not, I'm not going to I'm, Yesterday I was going to prison. Today I'm not. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, this is amazing. This is a high five moment dance. I mean, this is like, hey. Now watch what happens. He forgets. Have you ever forgotten what you were forgiven? Have you forgotten why you are free? Look at what he says in verse 28. But as the servant went out and found out his fellow servant, found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. He found some guy who owed him some money. Now, this guy had just been forgiven, right? Millions of dollars. But he goes out and finds a guy who owes him one day's wage. That's what a hundred denarii is. He owes him one day's wage. Now, all you got to do is let the guy work one day and he can pay you. You just got through being forgiven millions. And now God owes you one day's wage. You would think you would forgive that. Hey, look, man, forget it. You'd think that's what he'd say, right? But he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down on his feet and begged, saying these words. Say it out loud with me, please. Have what? Patience with me. You gave your mama a hard time, right? right? Stayed out long than you should have, didn't call. Now you got kids and you can't have patience with them. This is a horrible example, but it makes the point. Your baby got a baby. Okay, your baby got pregnant. And now, I'm not saying your baby should have got pregnant. I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's not a good thing. Ladies, young girls, it's not smart. Look at all the statistics. It's not a good move. Changes your life. Limits your options. Does things to you you don't want. But if you were sexually active, why are you acting like you don't understand? I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm simply saying you have, you were there. Your mother got on your nerves. Your family, your, your daddy got on your nerves. I'm sorry, you don't understand what it's like to have to deal with that? You should understand how it feels to be provoked by your father because your father provoked you and made you feel. What does it feel like when someone says, I'll slap you upside, don't you talk to me? Like, what, what's it like? What's it like when it's you? You're in the power seat now and you're doing the same thing. Oh, man. You know, you tell your kids stuff, right? Then they tell you. You know, what is it like when they look at you and say, you shouldn't talk to me like that. You told me don't talk to you like that. It's amazing how he forgot. It's all mad. We forget. How do you forget? How how could you forget when you go to the family reunion and people are high or they're drinking? You were a couple years ago. You still know what a drug house is. Why do you act like you don't have a clue? You can take me there right now. You know exactly where they are. You still got the codes and everything. I'm trying to understand why, why you don't have patience with people who have issues, who are struggling, 
who where you used to be? Why is it that all of a sudden you, you're impatient with your siblings? You're impatient with your brothers? You know, I said, Christian, just kind of get on my nerves. It's so holy. All of a sudden, you're just so holy. You don't understand anything because you're so saved now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, stop. What, why, why don't you get it? This guy grabs a hold of somebody by the throat. What's interesting is people are watching. So his fellow servant fell down, asked for grace, and he says, I'll pay you, verse 30, and he would not, he would not, he would not, but went and threw him into prison. Now, let me, let me just say this to you. You know why some of you do this? You know why some of us get mad like this? Because you say, I told you my story, and you shouldn't have fallen into the same trap I did. I warned you. I dare you do what I did. Oh, your parents didn't warn you? Nobody told you you didn't ignore her? Come on, p- pause for a minute. It's amazing how we totally forget. What it's like to be two and three. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> My little baby girl, you know, she said the other day, she told me, she said, she said, I can do whatever I want to do. Whatever I, whatever I want to do, I can do. She told, she told one of our staff. And so, so she said, no, you can't do whatever you want to do. Don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> now, 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 watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. What she was really saying was, the, the parents taught her the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> and whenever, <laughs> whenever you tell her she can't do something, she said, they tell her, don't, don't say you can't do that, Milani. She said, I, I can. So, so that's what she told. She went and told Miss Bishop, I can do anything and everything I want to do. She was saying to me the other day, Pops, I can do everything and anything I want to do. I said, okay. I know now what you mean. <laughs> Three years old. That's her interpretation of it. You forgot what it's like to not get it quite right? Have you forgotten what it's like to be a little bit off in your interpretation of something? And you needed somebody have patience with you? So here's what happened. Someone went and told, verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, now I want you to listen to this carefully because here's what he said to him, you are wicked. It is wicked for you to forget. It's wicked for you to have no patience now. It's wicked for you to get on some holy perch and look down at people and act as if you don't understand. It's a wicked thing. That's a strong word. Then he says this. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if you, each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother and of his trespasses. This is a sermon that will help your home team. This is a sermon that's fair. It shows you how to manage things sometimes 
that you can't control, when people feel the way they feel, you try it. It shows you how to look at people when you see them in wrong and you know you've been wrong. It gives you that moment when you understand, I mean, I can keep you employed here, but I've forgiven you. It gives you a moment when you're the one who did it wrong, that you can say, I get it. God will bless me another way. This has been a Garden of Eden for me, but it can't continue to be. It's, it's, it's a sermon that helps you as a home team manage forgiveness, manage unforgiveness, manage strife. And there's a lot of it. I pray for you today. If you are in a place where things are out of control, I pray that you would say to yourself, I don't think this is healthy for my team. And we need to come together, two or three of us, if necessary. If we can do it alone, that would be great. But we may have to call in a backup team to help us. We may not be able to see this. We may not, may not be able to figure this, up, figure this out. rather. But God, we need your help. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And it's not healthy for me to carry this in my heart. It's not healthy for me. You used to be married to somebody. And, and whatever caused this divorce or separation to happen, now you have to interact with that person. You need to, in your heart, come to a place where you understand they're forgiven. They're no longer in your Garden of Eden. But you still got to love each other. It doesn't need to be tense and ugly and out of control. You've got to learn to work with it. You deal with your father because your father cheated on your mother or vice versa, mother on your father. Whatever happened, when you interact with them, you have to say, for me, this is not good. You may not get to be in my life the way you used to be, but I need to settle this in my heart. Your home team is going to be better if you do. And that's what the sermon series is all about, how to help the home team. Know your job description. Don't be divided and forgive. Next week, we'll talk about stagnation. The home team can get stagnant and not advance. But I want you to go beyond what happened to you. You've got to go beyond what happened to you. You've got to go beyond your disappointment. You've got to go beyond. You have to deal with the present place you're in now and say, okay, let's go that way. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we go that way, go forward. We lay before you everything that's happened to us. Everything we've done wrong to others, we lay it before you. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us a new beginning. Maybe it's not in the Garden of Eden that we were in before, but God, we believe you can help us build a new life. We lay before you, Lord God, all the issues that cause us to feel angry and frustrated. And Lord, I pray that we would never forget your grace to us when we extend life and grace to others. I thank you and I praise you. And I give you glory and honor and praise. Father, I pray for people today in this room. Some at home, some here, who have never given their lives to you. And this is the moment when they want to do that. They realize that they need to start a walk with God. I pray in Jesus' name that they would open their hearts and their minds to you. 
there would be a transformation in their lives, a chance, Lord God, to grow. I pray that you would let them be healed of their past. And may this be the moment that they say, I want to start a life with Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to start a life with Jesus. I feel like, you know, I'm a good person, but I, I feel like I need to give my life to God. I feel like I need a new start, and I want you to pray for me. Raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Say, pray for me, Pastor. Just pray for me. I'm not going to call you up front. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else saying, I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me. I see you. Anybody else? Father, I, I pray. Thank you for these who raised their hands and many who raised their hearts. Everybody lift your hand with me. Father, bless all of those who raised their hearts and hands today. May this be that transforming moment when they say, my life will never be the same. And may you bless them and strengthen them and give them grace and healing in their life. And I give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, if you, if you came today and you prayed that prayer,